Welcome to Carry the Convo Podcast, where we share ideas and hopes to inspire others to converse like us. I'm your host, Tashar, and this is another installment of the Dialectic Series, where we investigate a topic personal to someone in hopes to grow in the idea together. Today, I will be interviewing Mark. He is a college student trying to get a degree in liberal arts in hopes to eventually pursue a career in theology or Catholic apologetics. On today's conversation, we dig deep into the ideas present in Catholicism. I evaluate Mark's response to the idea that religion is inherently ignorant, eventually stepping into the world of his relationship between religion and politics, specifically evaluating his difference between traditional conservatism and American conservatism. We even sidestep and touch on his attitudes towards trans rights. All of this is ended by a conversation about art and whether we can really consider today's art beautiful. This show is jam-packed with information, but I hope you guys enjoy it. So, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you? That's I'm pretty chill. I'm drinking water. I got coffee. I got my essential needs met. Um, so, have you ever been on an interview style like anything before? Not really. No. That's yeah. My knowledge. In your in your in your years of yeah, my, uh, arguing with people. My, my many years. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Being a pest to the the common folk. Yeah. That's fair. So, I wanted to just kind of get some background on who you are as a person. Um, so. Uh, I know you're going to college currently. What mm-hmm. Tell the listeners what you're going to college for. I am currently going to college for a bachelor's in liberal arts. Liberal arts, okay. In specific what category? Um, I mean, I'm studying, trying to study theology. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. What is your, what, um, I guess, what religious affiliation is that for? Uh, for the Catholic, for the- Catholic Church, Catholicism. Gotcha, gotcha. So what, you know... So would you say that you're very, very big in the Catholic, your Catholic faith? Oh, absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. So your goal to become a the- is your goal to become a theologian or? Absolutely, yeah. Catholic theologian, apologist, mm-hmm. that, that would be the, the dream. So what exactly is the process of doing that? How do you go about doing that? So I would first need to get uh, another bachelor's mm-hmm. in theology. Okay. So the, the liberal arts is for my college of choice where I would like to go to get my education mm-hmm. and then the bachelor's in theology and then a master's in theology and then a doctorate in theology would be mm. the course to really be recognized as a Catholic theologian. Do you have to do that through Catholic institutions or is it yeah. just free? Okay. To my knowledge, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. Okay. So what, what kind of motivated you to go down that path? Uh, so, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well. How are you? That's I'm pretty chill. I'm drinking water. I got coffee. I got my essential needs met. Um, so, have you ever been on an interview style like anything before? Not really. No. That's yeah. My knowledge. In your in your in your years of yeah, my, uh, arguing with people. <laughs> my many years. Yes. Yeah. Being a pest to the the common folk. Yeah. That's fair. So, I wanted to just kind of get some background on who you are as a person. Um, so. Uh, I know you're going to college currently. What mm-hmm. Tell the listeners what you're going to college for. I am currently going to college for a bachelor's in liberal arts. Liberal arts, okay. In specific what category? Um, I mean, I'm studying, trying to study theology. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. What is your, what, um, 
I guess, what religious affiliation is that for? Uh, for the Catholic, for the Catholic Church, Catholicism. Gotcha, gotcha. So what, you know, so would you say that you're very, very big in the Catholic, your Catholic faith? Oh, absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. So your goal to become a, the is your goal to become a theologian or? Absolutely, yeah. Catholic theologian, apologist, mm -hmm. that, that would be the, the dream. So what exactly is the process of doing that? How do you go about doing that? So I would first need to get uh, another bachelor's mm -hmm. in theology. Okay. So the, the liberal arts is for my college of choice where I would like to go to get my education. Mm -hmm. And then the bachelor's in theology and then a master's in theology and then a doctorate. In theology would be mm. the course to really be recognized as a Catholic theologian. Do you have to do that through Catholic institutions or is yeah. it just free? Okay. To my knowledge, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. Okay. So what, what kind of motivated you to go down that path? I have always been sort of a religious person. Mm -hmm. And in recent years, especially in my Later years of high school, I had a conversion to Catholicism. I was a Protestant Christian, and I became a Catholic Christian. And I really started taking my faith a lot more seriously. And I was taking it seriously before, but even more so now. Mm -hmm. Learning the arguments, learning why I believed what I believed. Mm -hmm. And I had a really fun time doing it. I found out that I really enjoyed arguing and debating and... and presenting facts for what I believed to be correct. Mm -hmm. And so if I could do that for a job, if I could give that to other people, if I could teach and do things like that, I thought, well, that would be great. I, I would really love to do that. Heck yeah. So that's an interesting switch between Protestantism to Catholicism, because mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of infighting between those groups. So yeah. what, what really pushed that transition for you? Yeah, so... There, there are two ways of, of thinking about this. Both, of, both, we've talked about this before, that, mm -hmm. I, that I've had a spiritual conversion to Catholicism yeah. and then an intellectual conversion. Okay. Right. And so in many ways, people have intellectual and spiritual conversions. Mm -hmm. uh, mine was a little reversed in that sense, the order of that. I felt called to become Catholic and then I decided to start participating in that. Mm -hmm. And then... I really started to learn the ev the evidences for it. So I, I, I made that jump out of a, I guess, a blind leap of faith. Yeah. And this, in that, like, that was what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I later learned the arguments that sort of solidified my decision that I was like, oh, I was right in doing this. Mm -hmm. This is, this is true. This is evidence for that and mm -hmm. so from from an intellectual so from an intellectual standpoint do you think that catholicism better addresses the historicity the legitimacy and the rigor of what you would assume adheres to a good christian faith absolutely okay absolutely. i see i feel like that's gonna rile people's feathers up <laughs> but so i have a few paths that i want to go but before we set that up i want to explain you know just the gist of what we're doing here, right? So I always describe this podcast as a dialectically inspired interview. So what it is, is we go about asking questions about who you are, what you believe and what you think, but it's all in the guise of sort of 
talking back and forth on different topics to synthesize new versions and see where contradictions or tension between people outside of our conversation might have, but also what we might have with each other in hopes to kind of better the conversation between us and then offer a good standpoint for other people. So that's what we're gonna do. I hope you're ready, because I know you just said you love debating. So I hope you're ready to have some fun little arguments. <laughs> I am. All right, perfect. So I wanna start off actually addressing something that someone else said, I think, I don't wanna say it was the previous recording, but maybe a few recordings back. Um, because I had someone who was on the other side of the spectrum, right? Mm. Right now, most of the episodes that I've recorded have kind of existed in this sort of middle ground between like somewhat religious versus spiritual, but some people have affirmed a spirituality, mm. not necessarily religious. More but, new age. Yeah, more new age, okay. right? Um, but this individual was very much on the atheistic camp, mm. ardent in that. And one of the reasons, you know, I prodded him and I asked him, what are the reasons why you don't believe. And we had an extensive conversation around the topic of ignorance, specifically in terms of, um, you know, his criticism was that religion is based in ignorance. And we had a good healthy debate there, but I wanted to prod you. Um, the sentiment that um, religion is based in ignorance, his, his perspective is that from kind of witnessing his personal experience with religion that a lot of people are closed-minded that they don't interpret information and stuff like that before we kind of strengthen that position what do you feel on that issue itself i find that a critique of broad christian or, or, or really any theological and that includes atheism mm -hmm. atheism you know is just not theism yeah. right yes, 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 yes. but um any sort of theological belief mm -hmm. Uh, a, a critique of that, of those participating in that broadly, mm -hmm. because it, it is somewhat hard to do, because when you look at religion or those who practice religion broadly, mm -hmm. in any any religion, atheism, Christianity, whatever, the common person is not going to be a theologian. Yeah. Right. The common person isn't going to be able to address everything. Mm -hmm. Or or even know a lot of the things, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> so, I think I think saying, "Oh, this is ignorance," mm -hmm. right? It, it is sort of hard to 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 really back up. Yeah, you see, it's 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 almost too ambitious of a claim. Yeah, because of it, it is a generalization. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you touch on a good point of you know the fact that everybody isn't a theologian so if we were to let's say strengthen this position a little bit further to say that maybe religion is based in ignorance right his problem was more maybe in terms of weaponization of yeah. religious sentiment um, if everybody's not a theologian then some people are going in you know trusting um, maybe the hierarchy of church or people that they believe to have uh, maybe spiritual or religious clarification do you think that there's a capacity for people to to weaponize that? Do you agree with that sentiment to to some degree? Uh, absolutely, people can can weaponize that. Mm -hmm. um, there are plenty of people throughout church history who have. Mm -hmm. Right. The problem in saying that it's just religion that has that problem is that it's just objectively not true. It's like mm -hmm. history teaches us that anyone who's charismatic enough or who has enough power mm -hmm. can coerce or force mm -hmm. people to to do certain things i mean, look no further than the past 100 years mm 
right? In the past 100 years, communism has risen and then fallen in Russia and in Eastern Europe. Uh, fascism rose and, and fell in Central and uh, Western Europe, mm -hmm. right? And, and both of those seem to be strictly anti, or at least communism, anti-religion, and <clears throat> uh, fascism seem to be anti, not their version of religion. Mm -hmm. So you have two sort of polemic groups, or two sort of contrasting groups, one who's not religious at all, and one who's a communism being the yeah, yeah, religious yeah, yeah. one, and fascism being the deeply religious one, sort of go at each other and both lie and massacre their own people and commit atrocities the world over, right? To, so to say that that's a problem for religion, mm -hmm. period, it, it, I think is to be sort of unaware of the past 100 years of history. But do you think, because, you know, all of these things, regardless of uh, religious affiliation or not, um, we typically denigrate anything that has weaponized ignorance, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, um, y we can talk about, obviously, communism in Russia, but we could take maybe, like, the Davidian cult um, yeah. in Waco, where, yeah. you know, they were strictly religious, but there was elements of, you know, hiding the truth and stuff like that yeah. that influenced yeah. people to be a part of that. So it may be the case that, you know, religion may not be the only one, but any group that does do this, we do denigrate. Now, that's not to say that yeah. there's no salvation in those groups, but do you think that, you know, what would you think would be a salvation for any of these groups that have potential, you know, have shown evidence of um, weaponizing ignorance? I mean, do you think it's salvageable? Do you think those positions are salvageable? Or those groups or ideologies can be salvaged? Groups whose core... <clears throat> like philosophy mm -hmm. or, or, or modus operandi is mm -hmm. to use or to cultivate ignorance. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think those groups can be salvageable. So you would have to evaluate whether a group or institution or ideology at its fundamental elements um, have that capacity in them. Yeah. So I guess that would be a good place to go more to the, the principle of religion in general, or maybe specifically Christianity, just to keep the scope broad or more specific. Mm -hmm. um, do you think in principle that is the case? Because, you know, from a, a non-committed position of religious ideology, one would assert that, you know, the, the ways and metrics in the past for believing in God was to explain reality. Because we didn't really, you know, we had the natural sciences, but typically they were affiliated with not religious, but a transcendental sentiment. Mm -hmm. um, believing in God as the sort of bringer about of these sort of complex things that we don't understand happens. Um, and then as science started to evolve in its own right, they kind of co-evolved and kept filling and filling. So do you think principally that is a core tenet, like just at least ignorance, putting God in between these gaps of our knowledge, like the God of the gap argument. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that is a, a fundamental nature of religion to fill in the answers that we don't have? No, I, I don't think it's uh, a fundamental nature to fill in something. That, I mean, not scientifically, okay. I would say. I think humans have a natural tendency to look for a God. 
mm-hmm. to look for a god or gods, a divine being, right? You see this in the earliest cultures, and I think mm-hmm. it's because it's sort of sort of hardwired into our souls to look for something like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it is true that people have used God to fill in the gaps of uh, not knowing something. Yeah, I yeah, guess. yeah. But I wouldn't say that that's that's how religion is is formulated or, or, or practiced in the Christian faith. I think, in fact, sort of it's quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. That in especially in Catholicism, we have a big emphasis on knowing the definitions of, of everything, basically, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's not tr- that's not just true since you know since the time of the medieval ages, since Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. right? That's true going back to the earliest Christians. I think of two big examples, besides the apostles who who try to answer every argument that they're given. You know, Paul quotes uh, pagan poetry mm-hmm. in the scriptures, right, to to balance out his argument indicating that at least he has knowledge about something. But I, I think of two early church saints, uh, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus, mm-hmm. who, Irenaeus in particular, writes a, a 400-page book, uh, it, which is called uh, The Refutation uh, or Against Heresies. Mm-hmm. And he spends 400 pages, it's like five books, fighting different ideas, right? Intellectually engaging with and disproving uh, different Christian, pagan, uh, you know, atheistic ideas. And you see that also in Justin Martyr, who writes two apologies in which he gives uh, definitions in Greek for some of the the key Catholic doctrines. Mm-hmm. Um so I would say that from the very beginning, at least Christianity mm-hmm. has been an intellectual faith, a faith that has thrived due to intellectuals mm-hmm. and uh, welcomes those questions to be answered. Mm-hmm. So, so the problem then becomes that in a more practical sense, do you think, I mean, do you agree that some people or some groups of Christianity have weaponized the ignorance oh, of people. Oh, absolutely. So, so where do you think that disconnect comes? Because principally, if, you, if we adhere that Christianity at its fundamental is, is rooted in intellectualism, in our argumentation, and the seeking of truth, right? Uh, where does that problem come in? So I would say primarily, <clears throat> and this is me as a Catholic, uh, comes from two things. Uh, the Reformation... And the Enlightenment. Okay. I think that the Reformation, especially in Christianity, uh, Protestant Christianity, uh, was was a very unfortunate event. It, of course, fractured uh, Western Europe religiously, caused a lot of wars and death, but as well changed the thought process of many of these European countries mm-hmm. and sort of sparked the, the Enlightenment, mm-hmm. so to say that these Christian groups rejected, uh, on the basis of really their being Catholic, Mm -hmm. a lot of the former scholastic thinkers, Thomas Aquinas, Anselm, you know, uh, they they don't reject all the the antiquities, you know, uh, Augustine or Ambrose, but 
they reject the scholastics. Yeah. Um, which really are the basis for modern critical, or not modern, but critical thinking as a, as a subject. As an entity, okay. Right, so because of that, because they reject the scholastics, mm -hmm. they reject their basis in critical thinking and argumentation. Mm -hmm. And then over time, you sort of see that form into groups that just say, well, God sends people to hell because he's God and you're not. Mm -hmm. Right, God can do whatever He wants, or God. God is so infinitely vast. You know, we can't ever understand why He would ever do something like this. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think that's the rejection of the scholastics had a big impact on thought process. So, so you would say that the biggest issue in why someone might view religion or maybe specifically Christianity as based on ignorance is because of maybe is maybe the saturation of Protestantism. Um, due to the Reformation, I don't want to put words in yeah, your mouth, sure. but what, it, for me, hearing the Reformation, you know, yeah. that would be the Protestant, or would put the onus on Protestantism to be sort of, maybe, I mean, do you think that that is an intellectual virtue, not an intellectual virtue, but like a facet of Protestantism is that they, they adhere a little less towards the rigor of theology? Yeah, uh, especially in more modern Protestantism. Mm -hmm. Traditional Protestant, Pro Protestantism, it, it tries to have a, a coherent theology. Mm -hmm. uh, I disagree with its theology, but it tries to have a coherent system of theology, where, though still rejecting the scholastics, I, I would say that traditional Protestantism lays the groundwork mm -hmm. in that rejection of the scholastics for the modern evangelical Protestant to be able to say what they say mm -hmm. in that, you know, God is God, and you know mm -hmm. it's okay to, you know, don't don't ask questions, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you think that that problem doesn't exist in the Catholic Church at all, or that it's a, to a lesser degree, or what? What do you? Oh, that that problem is certainly in the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. My main critique is that, as an institution, the Church welcomes science. The Church promotes the sciences, cultivates mm -hmm. the sciences, cultivates the logic mm -hmm. and the and the theology. Mm -hmm. and the philosophy in, in an institution. Not that individuals within the church won't say those exact same things, mm -hmm. but as an institution. It's more respected, or it respects the sort of rigor that other fields can bring about. Absolutely. And they, would you say that the core essential idea of Catholicism is to take those sort of other institutions and try to integrate it into the Catholic Church as best as possible. Absolutely. Uh, I, I would give, you know, a big example. It's it, one that a lot of people give is Father uh, Charles Lemaitre, I believe, is mm -hmm. the uh, is the man who invented the Big Bang Theory. Mm. A Catholic priest invented the Big Bang Theory and presented it to the Pope. And the Pope at the time, I, I can't remember who it was, maybe Leo Thirteenth or something like that. He, he was, he said, this is great. Yeah, this could totally be so a, like, let's keep yeah, going. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> we he approve. Said, he said, this is totally a way that God could have created the universe. This is a good explanation, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, the father of moder modern genetics, you know, Gregor Mendel is an Augustinian mm -hmm. friar. Uh, and even modern popes uh, have claimed to believe in evolution, mm -hmm. right? So no, no matter what your take on evolution is. Yeah. Right? The Catholic Church has always tried to keep an open mind to uh, to the foundings of other fields that may be used in 
atheistic or other religious justifications as such. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. I think that's a good way of understanding that objection. I kind of want to move a little bit more towards you as opposed to addressing you know, prior criticisms of religion. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I like to touch on, especially with someone of your religious standard, is religion involving political discourse and political ideology. Because I think in the U.S. right now, one of the biggest um, criticisms is this idea that, um, you know, we're not seeing the separation of church and state. We are not seeing this and stuff, these things. Um, but more specifically for you, I mean, I, I know I personally, and I know a lot of people associate Catholicism with very traditional uh, conservative uh, perspectives. I mean, do you agree? Do you fall into that camp? Or would you say? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I fall into that traditional Catholic camp the traditional conservative Catholic camp <clears throat> that uh, I I view politics in a certain way different than than even my fellow American uh, conservatives who might be Protestant. Okay. Right. I, I view politics in a much different way, like the things that people should be doing or allowed to do, what freedom <laughs> is for, mm -hmm. and what even is the definition of freedom. So in your in your summary, what are the tenets of like a true not maybe true but like a a core conservative perspective? Sure, uh, it follows the natural law, mm -hmm. right? The law that it can be observed from uh, natural faculties, mm -hmm. right, and from logic. Mm -hmm. The divine law is followed, so of course you see this in, in Catholic countries. Mm -hmm. Right, that the people are unified under a common a commonality, mm -hmm. right? whether that be <clears throat> religion, race, language, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, the preservation of the family and the culture mm -hmm. is, and, and the growing, and the flourishing of the individual and its family is highly sought after. Got it. So I want I want to touch base on on like the the two components that I saw at first, which is the natural law and the divine law, um, just because I don't uh, I don't think most people are aware of uh, it was Augustine, correct? Yeah, it would have been Augustine. Um, so w when we talk about natural law, is that like the the way in which the natural world operates, and when you say our natural faculties is how we observe it, or is there something greater than that? What does that mean? For so yeah, natural law is the law that is understood by humans naturally that that i guess i shouldn't use the word in the, the definition okay. <laughs> yeah. that that humans can observe the right and the wrong of a situation through their own logic sight uh, reason whatever so would you say that devoid of divine law like if god was not there that would natural law would be the way that we come to conclusions just off of our logic reasonings alone like how we live our life and yeah stuff like? i i would say that natural law is given by the divine okay that, that natural law is implanted in the divine sort of like our intuitional yes gestures okay so natural law is essentially the capacity for us to see a given situation and reason to ourselves whether it's right or wrong yeah. Okay. And so divine law would then be what? Uh, things that cannot be reasoned just from <clears throat> the, the, the human faculties. Mm. So things that are in particular prescribed by God. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think a good way of looking at it would be 
you know, sort of the, the Ten Commandments, you have three that are for God, right? Mm -hmm. The first three commandments are for God. The yeah. last seven are for man's interaction with man. Yeah. Right? And many of those can be found in the uh, natural law. You know, mm -hmm. don't steal, don't murder, you know. Things that seem intuitively, intuitively, like, yeah. yeah. If you're pro if you're promoting like the well-being of most amount of people, okay. Divine law, and then you said for uh, traditional conservatism, or like for you, conservatism also stands for upholding family and such. What does what does that? Is that more divinely inspired or naturally inspired? Where would you kind of put that? I, I would say, <clears throat> well, as a Catholic, I believe uh, marriage is a sacrament. Okay. That that the institute that the sacrament of matrimony mm -hmm. is instituted by Christ. Mm -hmm. Not that marriage itself as a practice mm -hmm. was instituted by God, but that uh, the sacrament of matrimony is instituted by Christ as a uh, relationship that gives grace and helps lead one to heaven. Mm -hmm. In in practice, I think that marriage, and you see you see this in a lot of early philosophers is that marriage is the basic political building block of mm -hmm. any society. Mm -hmm. That the family is key for a good society. That if you that if a family doesn't have good children, that, that if they don't raise uh, uh, good citizens, uh, good citizens, family, yeah. right, good family, whatever, right? They're the sort of first step into good political discourse. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's the key first step mm -hmm. into uh, a good political society. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the way uh, Pope Benedict, or maybe Pope St. John Paul II said, uh, was, uh, uh, as goes the mother, so goes the nation. Mm -hmm. Right? That, uh, that the family is key in having a good nation and a good political order. I see. A so, united family. Okay. And so, do you think those are the three, the three tenets of, like, traditional conservatism, where you have um, the, the divine law, natural law, and then the family, or is there more to that sort of conservatism for you? Yeah, I, I would say that that's the, the, the key... Like the first principles. The first principles of that, yeah. Okay. Um, and do you think that that, that is in contrast? How do you see, because you, you made the statement that your, your form of conservatism uh, de might delineate from American conservatism today. Mm -hmm. How? Why do you see that occurring? I think that uh, uh, American conservatives have this tendency to mix their politics into their religion, mm -hmm. where I believe that you should make, mix your religion into your politics. Okay. Um, and so what they do is they sort of make their, their theology very Americanized. Hmm. And they make their understanding of philosophy very Americanized. Mm -hmm. Very um, Americanized in the sense that it's your interpretation or it's your ideas that, you know, no one can tell you what to do or what to believe. You know, no one's... Mm -hmm. The hyper-individualist. Yeah, it's hyper-individualistic, atomized individualism. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, and so you, you see that in particular with the definition of freedom. I've gotten into this debate quite a bit mm -hmm. with Protestants is um, what is freedom? Mm -hmm. Is freedom the ability to do whatever you please, or is freedom the ability to choose the good? Mm. And that's that's a debate that traditional conservatives have with American conservatives, mm -hmm. is that traditional conservatives will say, freedom is the ability to choose the good. Mm -hmm. Where American conservatives will say, freedom 
is the ability to do as you please. Mm -hmm. And so that there are some key sort of disagreements it, that, that if you look at it, sort of get really philosophical and really um, to, to the nature of man. Okay. Um, that on the surface level may not seem like a big deal. Yeah. But um, So I, I do actually find it very interesting about the whole idea of freedom. Because um, to me, I hear, you know, the freedom to choose good versus the freedom to choose what I please. I mean... Yeah, maybe we're playing an equivocation game of the good, but for someone to do as they please, the, you know, to, wouldn't our actions motivated with choosing what is good? So what do you mean by good in that situation? Of course. Uh, and again, that goes back to the first principles, right? Okay. That the good is found in the natural and divine law. I see. Okay. So when you say for a traditional conservative, it is the idea, the freedom is the ability to choose the good. Is that juxtaposed by picking the bad as well? Like, you know, you're, you're free to choose whatever you want. Why, why is the freedom existing in only choosing the good? What, that's something yeah. I'm a little crazy um, on. <clears throat> it, it goes back to the understanding of vice, okay. right? That vice um, is, is not something that you do. It's not like an itch you have to scratch. Mm -hmm. And then the itch goes away. Mm -hmm. Vice is something that when you scratch that itch, it gets even, it's like poison ivy. You scratch okay. that itch and it gets even itchier. Okay. Uh, Augustine says, he, he gives a very specific example for a very specific vice, lust. He says, lust unindulged becomes habit. Habit uh, uh, not countered mm -hmm. becomes necessity. Mm. Right? So Augustine equivoc equivocates that, that, or says that vice is like a, a, a addictive substance and, and it leads one deeper and deeper into sort of an, an, an entropic collapse like, into yeah. itself. Mm -hmm. And I, I think Augustine would be a good authority on that. If you, you know, read Confessions, you see that, well, he did sort of live a, you know, a really crazy life before mm -hmm. his conversion. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that there can be really good examples of real world Stations and uh, stuff station, like that. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I don't want to get caught up in the weeds. I think that's a very interesting because I've, I've never heard of that sort of conception of freedom. Um, but I want to investigate. Obviously, we've talked about maybe some dissonance that you feel within conservatism itself. But the biggest opposition, I think, at least in America, to conservatism is liberalism. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, so what what is your experience with the dissonance uh, uh, of liberals? Do you think that there's a... Do you think that it's an inherent contradiction to have a liberal Catholic? Or do you think, like, you know, where, where did the, the sort of, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess cornerstones of dissonance come from with your conception of conservatism versus liberalism? Yeah. Uh, I would say that liberal Catholics, in the sense that they fall into liberal, the modern Democrat liberal understanding of politics, mm -hmm. Are, are sort of contrary to the understandings of the Catholic faith. Okay. That the Catholic faith has always had these ideals. Mm -hmm. uh, abortion is wrong. Murder is wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. Homosexuality is wrong. Mm -hmm. you know, transgenderism is wrong, right? Polygamy is wrong, whatever. Uh, whatever, whatever, you know. It's yeah. Right? And they've always had these beliefs. Mm -hmm. The issue arises amongst liberal Catholics that in the in the modern age there's been a push in the catholic church from within mm 
to sort of modernize. Uh, it's called the heresy of modernism, or sometimes called the heresy of Americanism in certain hmm. in okay. certain instances, depending on what it is, that the theology of the church or the beliefs of the church <clears throat> need to age with the times. <laughs> that, yes, maybe, you know, this certain thing was wrong back then, but that doesn't mean it's wrong now. Mm-hmm. That, you know, now we live in a different age, we live in a different time with different capabilities. Mm-hmm. Now maybe we should look into certain uh, ideas that may have been condemned by the church, but now we live in an age where we're able to do more. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> I see that push from within for, for really that reason. Mm. And do you think that that's a, an issue? Like, where where does the problem for you... I'm assuming that you would disagree with that sort of sentiment. Yeah. So what, where does that issue come for for you? The, the issue comes for, for me is that I think the modernization into this sort of modern liberal understanding of religion and of philosophy, I think really rejects both the natural and divine law. Mm. I think maybe it might help to specifically point out an issue just because, okay. you know, we're used to talking about things yeah. in, in the, the abstract, but maybe the listener won't be. Sure. So I think one of the, what would be an issue that you feel you have the most dissonance on the liberal perspective for? I, I would say transgenderism. Okay. So what is your take on transgenderism? I find that it's uh, contrary to, to reason and to, I, th- I think it's, <clears throat> I think it's very harmful to mm. an individual to participate in that. I think it's harmful for them, and mm-hmm. I think it's harmful for the society, and it's bad for the people who support them in that. Uh, how, how so? How does it, let's, let's attack, so l- let, me, let me try to summarize and see. If, so you say that transgenderism is harmful to people because it does, what, what is the harm that sure. you're identifying? <clears throat> uh, first, it, it gives someone an under, a false understanding of the self. Okay. Um, it, it leads one into confusion about who they are, what they are, um, what their purpose is, what their what their meaning in life should be, and things like that. What their desires are, and what what would fulfill them. It confuses them on that mm-hmm. primarily in, in the self, mm-hmm. and, and that's what it does to to really the soul. But what it does as well is it le- in that confusion in the soul and in the intellect leads to, a lot of the time, a, a mutilation of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see this in women who get uh, double mastectomies or who get their uh, uterus removed and a hysterectomy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that it leads to people making really uh, harmful decisions mm-hmm. that, may, that many of them later come to regret. Mm-hmm. It, it I, I, would, I would say it harms the soul and it harms the body. Okay. So, I, okay. So to tie this into what we were talking about with principles. So, do you think this violates natural law, divine law, Both. or okay, and then the family as well? Yes. Yes. Okay. So let let's fixate on which one do you think is the prime violation? Like out of the three, which one is the most violated? 
Uh, that, that, that's, that's hard to say, since I, I believe that the natural law is, is, is instituted by the divine. So, so let's, let's go to the, and then the family is instituted by the divine as well. So let's, let's say, what do you think, why do you think it violates the divine law? Because, oh, of course, God has told us that, you know, God has made mm -hmm. man and women mm -hmm. and woman to be man and woman, mm -hmm. right? That when God created Adam, he, uh, he created Adam male for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. When God created Eve, he created Eve to be a woman for a specific reason. Mm -hmm. That men and women are different, right? Mm -hmm. They're complementary. Yeah. Right? That, that the woman complements the man and the man complements the woman. Mm -hmm. Right? That in each other they find the perfect union. Mm -hmm. Right? And so when people are confused about themselves, mm -hmm. they are are not understanding of their role in that union and in, in, in what is a perfect union mm -hmm. and a beautiful expression mm -hmm. uh, of love mm -hmm. right they have trouble finding that not that they they may not love someone but they mm -hmm. have fi trouble finding that expression in their own sex mm -hmm. as as their own sex mm -hmm. right that God created them to express their love in a uh, I guess you would say gendered way, mm -hmm. right? That men and women love differently yeah. and that we are called to express that love in a certain way. And men have the capability to express that love in, in, in one particular way primarily and women have another way to express that love in, in their own way, mm -hmm. right? That, that neither, neither love is better or worse than the other. Both are necessary for the full, for the full fruition of the individual. Oh, okay. So it rejects the divine law in that it rejects the standard which God has set for you in both your, your intellect and in your body. Mm -hmm. And it also violates the natural law by its uh, attack on the body and, and, and on the, the Yeah, if you, if you hold what God has created as, as, divinely, as, as a divine law, then the, cre the natural law is violated because essentially we can yes. see that we should value the the sanctity of yeah, our bodies, and exactly. thus, and then it attacks family because, um, essentially, if you, as you've mentioned, that 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 love, companionship, and stuff is all endangered because of these sort of precepts yeah. and stuff. Do you think that? Okay, so, is your criticism or maybe your apprehension a legal and moral or just moral? Right, like in the sense of. If, if, let's say, we were to legally allow, not force, yeah. but allow transgenders, uh, like indiv transgender individuals to commit, you know, surgeries and whatever they wanted to, the freedom to do as such, um, would you be on, would you kind of leave it to be like, yep, that's fine, I don't agree with it, mm -hmm. but, you know, that is what it is, or are you in the position where you would actively seek banning those practices? Yeah, I, I'm in the position where I would actively seek banning those those practices. Okay, so it's moral and uh, legal. Would you say what? So obviously, it's informed by the moral perspective. So what what would your thoughts be on the the sort of uh, criticism of the the whole idea of separation of you know the I guess the religious sentiment versus the political right? Because I think in politics we 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 espouse that um, there is this sort of freedom, that we should have freedom to do things within reason. I mean, do you think that that violation to anybody that isn't, let's say I'm rejecting the, the, the pursuits of God in my life, right? Yeah. If I don't just, if I don't decide to adhere to the Catholic ethic, yes. um, 
I've already kind of rejected these things. I'm already kind of damned in that aspect. Yeah. So why not just let me go on the way? If it makes me feel happy, I mean, you're already choosing to be happy on this world and you will in the divine. Uh-huh. Go be free. Why is that a problem? Yeah. So, so your question is, is why should I do the things that, that make me happy? So in the sense of if, I, if I'm... Not why you shouldn't do the things that you're not happy. And I guess to condense the point, it's this idea that why is it harmful to have an institution for people that aren't adhering to the Catholic ethic? Mm. Uh, well, the first thing is is that <clears throat> uh, we, sh- we should address the criticism that, that someone isn't following their religion or their, their you know, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you're not following my religion yeah. doesn't mean that you're not following a religion. Right, that the that the religion in worship, mm-hmm. in, in its pure essence, is serving, is that you serve something that you believe to be greater than yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so, when when someone worships, you know, the Christian God, he does so by doing what is asked of him by this yeah. God, and they, he serves that God, that God in that way, mm-hmm. right? And doing the same thing. When one serves the the atheistic ideal or, or the liberal ideal, mm-hmm. right? He serves a sort of pseudo religious uh, idea, mm-hmm. in the sense that this is what he now this is what he views as the higher purpose, and so he serves that. Oh, do you think that that's necessarily the case in in like let's say atheism, right? Because um, there's definitely staunch atheists. I think people who adhere and genuinely believe in those things, but I think there's just people that are atheists by agnosticism in the sense sure. that if you're just devoid of any sort of care and stuff like that, I think people, not everybody thinks so deeply on ideology, sure. and some people just serve themselves. Oh, sure. They, yeah. they may not be thinking like, oh, this is my higher purpose that I'm going to serve, mm-hmm. <clears throat> right? But at that point, your higher purpose is your own. If you say that I don't really care about anything, I just sort of want to I, I guess like like a full-blown nihilist. Yeah, if, if there is nothing that's a meaning I'm just doing what I want well, to do. That's the thing about nihilism is is nihilism isn't meant to reject uh, Having a higher goal or purpose or thing with which to work towards mm-hmm. It just means that you have to find your own now That's what it's one of the big critiques that you know people always level at Nietzsche that they don't understand is that Nietzsche isn't saying that we should do away with higher purposes. No. Or, or that life has no meaning. Not at all. He just says that we need to find new meaning. It yeah. shouldn't be Christian. For him, it's the will to power and exactly. stuff like that. But uh, I don't think... I, I agree that with people who are you know, Nietzschean in their thought processes that that they will pursue that. But I also think that there's ex- pe- there exist people that do not have a sort of push for the higher power. There's people that are just surviving. They, they don't really... They're just kind of do, like uh, sort of mindless zombies in the system, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like I go to work, I come home, you know, I pay the bills. Like I just do what is expected of me. Mm-hmm. I'm like complete automata- automatons. Yeah. Um, that's really like a, like the existential yeah. criticism where it's like if you don't uh, live a life of an authentic- in authenticity, mm-hmm. you are living this sort of life in utter just stuckness. You're not yeah. putting anything in an active sense. Um, to me, I feel like that would give, if we were to define that as a position of religious sentiment or service, I feel like that would kind of hollow out the word service. It's, it's not religious in the, in the view that like, oh, I am dedicating myself to this higher power, mm-hmm. right? It's it is because man is, a, I think, innately religious creature. He will always find something to work 
uh, is something that he views greater than himself to work for, mm -hmm. right? So whether that be uh, uh, the the common good in the sort of social revolutionary sort of idea of the common good, mm -hmm. or the sort of my common good is going to the the club this weekend, yeah, or or, or, or you know just chilling and smoking my 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 cigars with my friends mm -hmm. right that's why i go to work like like why why do you go to work that, that, that i guess my question is like what do you work f towards i mean some can just argue survival i if i don't do this i'm going to die like mm -hmm. i think at the bare bones we can we can affirm i mean i wouldn't commit to maybe biological determinism but to some extent i i need to survive mm -hmm. um and I think just this instinct of survival is sure, not sure. the instinct of survival. But I, I would I would ask you know, how many people truly just try to live survivally? Because I mean that's that's not true of even like tribal cultures, mm -hmm. right? Like one one of the big things is um, uh, I can't remember what it was. It was on the, the Joe Rogan Experience, and, mm -hmm. and I can't remember his name, but he was talking about how in these so he lived with an African uh, tribe, yeah, for uh, quite a while. And these people would hunt during the day, and they would party at night, mm -hmm. right? Like that, and that was their daily life cycle. Mm -hmm. Is the men would hunt during the day, the women would go pick berries, and then they would bring home the food, and then they would they would they would have a party. They would have their their they ceremonies, their yeah. celebrations. So I, I I think it's hard to say that man just purely exists. That some men can just purely exist on a survival basis. It's like. Mm -hmm. That we have we have vices we have, uh, we have not vice. necessarily vices but we have uh, terms of cultural acceptance and enjoyment. Uh, let's 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 assume that you know that we agree on that. So I guess something that I'm having trouble imagining is that you know I don't know the the usage of re like a, a religious esque or service esque for a normal or regular person to a a you know. A Catholic sentiment. I feel like those are so drastically different. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess getting back to the whole transgenderism conversation, what what is that point of um, this fact that people do have this sort of appeal to some sort of higher purpose? What what does that have into relation with this line? Yeah, is that well? First, I think they they confuse the <laughs> higher purpose, and they confuse what the higher purpose wants for them. Mm -hmm. Right. That if you believe, believe that the divine has instituted all these things, has instituted you as your own personage in, an, in its own expression, mm -hmm. then you, you are meant to express it in that way. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't, or if you try to, to change that within mm -hmm. your acting in, in opposition to mm -hmm. that thing in which you were created to do. Mm -hmm. And so you have now removed that higher purpose from your life and have, have now put that thing that you're working toward to be X, whether mm -hmm. that be acceptance as this sort of individual mm -hmm. or, um, you know, this certain type of lifestyle or whatever, mm -hmm. that that's now what you're, what you are seeking, what you are trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So let me see if I get this right. You're saying that when it comes to the criticism that some people exist outside of your religious perspective, thus why not just let them kind of thrive, you know, do what mm -hmm. they want. You're saying that everybody innately has this sort of draw to some sort of religious higher power, so in your case it would be Catholicism. Yeah. They're just confused in those sort of pursuals, and thus they are, you Prone know... to act messing up. Stuff. They're going to have those things. Yes. 
I mean, is there any evidence to suggest that these people necessarily, even if we exclude transgenderism, that people who have substituted this sort of appreciation for higher power Mm -hmm. have seen life less contently than other people? Because you would you would also have to extend that to other religions like Hinduism, yeah, stuff like that. I, I would say that. There, there was this poll done, I can't remember if it was Harvard or, or someone or Berkeley or whatever it was, mm-hmm. that um, religious people mm-hmm. were more content during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. That, that religious people um, who, who actively practiced a faith, not, not mm-hmm. even just Christianity, but Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, whatever, mm-hmm. right? That they were more content to, to live during that period, right? Mm-hmm. Not that they were happy, Mm-hmm. Right, but this sort of, sort of, uh, at peace, at peace with the okay. If I die, all right, okay. Mm-hmm. You know what? There, there's a, there's a, there is another life beyond this. In Buddhism, it's reincarnation. Christianity, Islam, Judaism, it's a. But do you do you think that that's just having that 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 hope that hope feeling of a, some sort of higher purpose that brings <clears throat> that there? Because if that exists, then I don't. I feel like there needs to be a justification to why that leads to specifically the Catholic ethic of, you know, to justify the transgender. Because Mm -hmm. I think if it's just the ability to have hope of a higher being, you can make your own conception, whatever is up to you. Sure. And um, and in that conception, being trans is the way to get that higher fulfillment. Sure. Or being gay or being Um, whatever you would like. I would then say, if you are going to look at that, look at the the fallout of, of any con- of anything that you do, mm-hmm. right? If if my action is results in, you know, X, you know, is that thing a good thing? And does does it benefit other people? Does it just benefit myself? What does it do? So I, I think primarily I need we need to look at the lifestyle had amongst that sort of group. That sadly this is a horrible, horrible thing that that happens, but that like. Forty-three percent of all um, transgender people commit suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's an incredibly high number mm-hmm. for such a small community. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think the question needs to be asked: Is is why does that lifestyle, or, or, or what is it about people who live in that lifestyle? Maybe it's not that lifestyle, but what mm-hmm. is it about people who live in that lifestyle mm-hmm. that leads them to such desperation? The, the the liberal sort of account of that is the idea that, I mean, we just because one transitions, right? So the whole point of transitioning in the, and this is coming from someone who is not trans whatsoever, yeah. but to my, what I've heard is the, the sort of rationale behind transgenderism is that there exists some sort of dysphoria from gender, and thus the operation resolves that thing. But the point being is that dysphoria from gender is both a internal, it's basically you in a social situation. Society itself is causing the dissonance. So if you transition, the only way to make that gender dysphoria go away is to essentially, the only purpose of transitioning is to promote social acceptance. If society is already based in a situation where they're rejecting um, transgenderism at all, if you aren't explicitly passing, no matter how much surgery you get, you're going to not succeed. And there are some people that will explicitly, uh, what's it called, explicitly pass, and they and those people aren't tend, tend to not be the ones that you know suffer. But right. if society at large rejects that, then there's still going to be a problem, transition or not. Sure. Uh, I I would then ask, mm-hmm. 
why don't we see that in other groups? Like say, in other groups that are persecuted, right? So there, there's a very large push against transgenderism in, in America. Yep. Abso- absolutely. And I would say across the world broadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely there is. Yeah. Right? So I, I would say look at other persecuted groups and see how they act in, in similar situations. Mm-hmm. Right? So again, I would say look at first century Christianity mm-hmm. or, or um, you know, Judaism under under Hitler or under Rome, mm-hmm. right, or, or under the Greeks, is that you see these groups being murdered and martyred and, and, and tortured to death, mm-hmm. but they are somehow not only growing and, and thriving, mm-hmm. but are at their happiest. I see. I see it as an issue of not of whether someone is being persecuted or not. I don't think it's the antagonism that inherently leads mm-hmm. to the uh, the sort of diminished capacity of, uh, or the, the, in, the inherent statistic for trans individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, though I do think it's a, an important contribution, I think it's the idea of social esteem in society. Is there people that regard what you are doing with valor and f- uh, affirmation? And in society, if you look at other things, right? So like, um, in the the idea of social esteem, this is one of the criticisms of a meritocracy. At least how America has yeah. uh, kind of pushed the to use Michael Sandel's words, the rhetoric of rising. Mm-hmm. Um, we've noticed that in situations where there's a higher capacity for social mobility, there's still an increase in death because of the idea of success and failure. People who are seen in these sort of lower statuses of social esteem, people who are seen as lower class, just the label of lower class has increased the, the or has increased deaths by what he's kind of described as deaths of despair mm-hmm. because their social esteem is not as accepted the, the seeing yourself as the loser in society has increased the want to numb yourself and thus a lot of deaths have been occurring through suicide through drug overdose through these things mm-hmm. so if you think of it from the perspective of social esteem a lot of groups are increasing their activities of suicide drug consumption mm-hmm. and such when they face situations of negative social esteem. Uh, Again, my my response would be, is Mm -hmm. why don't we see that in in, in groups that are not socially esteemed in their current places in time? Again, Mm -hmm. Jews during the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. right? Or uh, Jews under the the pagan uh, Greco-Roman empires, Mm -hmm. or Christianity under Rome. You know, these are these are certain groups, or, or in fact, I'll give I'll give a modern example, uh, a modern day example, uh, the Falange, mm-hmm. a, a group of uh, Lebanese Christians mm-hmm. who live in primarily the more uh, rural areas of Lebanon, mm-hmm. who have taken to uh, violent means to defend their their villages and their towns from radical fundamentalist Islam, mm-hmm. right? Why are, and they're treated like second class, you know, they don't, they don't get any help from the government, mm-hmm. right? the government doesn't really care about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other people in their society, the radical fundamentalist Islamics, uh, want to kill them mm-hmm. or, con- or forcibly convert them. And so you, you see this society that has absolutely, you see this, this group that basically has no social standing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. 
and you, you don't see deaths of despair amongst these groups, at least not in high amounts, not, not well, ones that make up yeah. half of the population. Well, I think maybe it's a, it's a situation of um, division of survival versus, versus like a sort of thrival, right? So like the mm -hmm. way that I see it is social esteem becomes a factor. When you're surviving, I mean, at that point, it's, you know, I hold to these ideals and these ideals are going to kill me. Yeah. You, you don't really have time to sit there and be like, well, what is the ideal life? Yeah. It's essentially, do I, can I live with myself without this? And if not, I need to fight for it, right? In, mm -hmm. in, in an essence, it's almost like a, like a, I don't want to say a suicidal uh, attitude, but it is okay. the case that I'm going to die for my I cause. See, I see what you're saying. And so it's, it isn't the case that, you know, social esteem mm -hmm. really matters. I believe in this so ardently that my life without it is going to be worse off. Sure. And so I, in these sort of states, though, or in, in, in situations of persecution, especially when death is involved, yes. it, it is this sort of, this case I see what that, you're saying. that, that is where I would say I, that they become kind of different yeah. cases. I, I, would, I would say then, look at the example of modern Christians in China. Okay. I, I have a friend who grew up in, grew up in China, whose mm -hmm. parents were missionaries in China, mm -hmm. right? And the Chinese government is not favorable to Christians there. No. Right? Um, I think the Cardinal, Cardinal Zen may, may be still in prison but for speaking out against the government, mm -hmm. right? But in these communities in China, mm -hmm. right, in these Christian communities in China, they aren't being threatened with death, mm -hmm. per se. They're being threatened with very uncomfortable lives, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's uh, I can't, I think it's Vaclav Havel. It says is the soft totalitarianism. It's, it's, it's not something that they're not going to put a gun to your head and mm -hmm. force you to do it, mm -hmm. right? That's hard totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Soft totalitarianism is we're just going to make life really hard for you. Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to be blacklisted. You're not going to be able to get a job or not a mm -hmm. good paying job or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so you see groups and you see this with the social credit score in China and stuff like mm -hmm. that, that these, these Christians don't live very comfortable lives. They're surviving, but they're not thriving. Yeah. But they are incredibly fulfilled and happy, and you you don't see deaths of despair in, in, in large amounts in these groups. Well, the way that I would put it, and you know, I feel like we'll go back and forth, but the, the, the assertion that I, I would see it as that at that point, Christianity has spread and there is access to other Christian communities mm -hmm. to the point where the social esteem does exist to where there is even if you don't find validation within it in the society at itself right mm -hmm. there's a large enough proportion of people that do bring hope and that 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 the sort of tenets and fulfillment of Christianity has already been established mm -hmm. it's there's no longer a fight for whether Christianity is going to validate my life or not as opposed to back whenever it started, right? If these ex if these communities existed back when you know we were at the when the persecution didn't exist, yeah, it's one of those things where we've transitioned to a, a place where persecution, you know, uh, Christianity has had time to grow without persecution. Yes. This is a worldwide Christian community. Yeah, and so it, it's the case that even if I don't feel fulfilled here, I know that other people are happy, and I hear these testimonies. So there's a newfound hope in the sense of that, which. In to juxtapose it to the trans community, I mean, first of all, they are a small minority of people, yeah. but also because there is, I don't want to say persecution, because you know, I wouldn't say that people are lighting a bunch of trans people and shooting them by the guns, but it is the case that the, the social esteem hasn't gotten the ball rolling yet. Uh, it's kind of like this idea of like, a, like 
the second that we started to destigmatize having like left-handed writing, mm-hmm. uh, we saw a blow up in left-handed writing. Yeah, um, it's like it's one of those situations where once the sort of if we were to all of a sudden bring up this sort of rhetoric of like left-handed people are yeah. like trash yeah. individuals, they'd be like, bro, what the heck? Because yeah. once you surpass that threshold of this sort of like, you know, it is no longer that there's enough social esteem or enough credibility to where I can lean on these sort of sentiments of other people and hear my experience, hear my story. I feel more validated to where even if I do experience it, I'm more likely to fight as opposed to enter this sort of situation of despair. Mm. It, it goes back yeah. to hope, right? So the same reason why you know I would give a pro towards religion to offering hope in people's lives, I also say that other institutions in our inst- you know in mm. our existence can provide that hope. Yeah. Um, that would be like I guess my response to that sort of idea. Yeah, I, I would say then. Even then, I would say, and there is one one argument that I, that I I like to make, but that would sort of be a last argument. But uh, That's okay. um, an argument that I would give in response to that is look at uh, look at black communities in in the southern America, or not southern America, but South United States. Yeah. During the Jim Crow and the uh, seg- the area era of segregation, mm-hmm. right? That in fact, the the family was never stronger in those communities. Mm-hmm. Than under those eras, mm-hmm. right? That, that that families were actually together more in that era, and traditionally, you know, normally, having a whole family leave, leaves one to be happier in life, mm-hmm. right? So you you see these groups that are united, even though they are treated as second class citizens, that they're united and that they're happy within their communities. Mm-hmm. Right, even though they're not treated well, even though, though some of them are, are murdered for the color of their skin, or, or, or mm-hmm. are thrown out of restaurants or stores, or not you know not given uh, access to, to good things, mm-hmm. or, or sometimes even to necessary things, mm-hmm. um, and yet y- you don't see half of half of nineteen sixties nineteen fifties Black America kill themselves. Mm. It's it's. It, it just seems that there that there's something staggering about that statistic that that a that a, a community that's so small would have that. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think I think we can keep going on this. Yeah. I wanna I do wanna yeah, of course keep on going. Yeah, but good. That, that's something we'll 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 pick up probably in our personal conversation. So you did mention you had like a final argument yeah, uh, when I, it came to trans. <laughs> I, I I would say that it's not that um, I, I don't think trans people aren't being represented properly or or, oh, or okay. being seen in, in the correct social light. Okay. I think that increasingly more and more so, they are. But the statistic seems to be staying relatively the same. My, my counter would just be, I mean, the stigma is still there. I don't think, yeah. because, because even people who are, and this is my super leftist perspective, yeah. uh, my super leftist perspective is that uh, people like to say, go trans people, and then th- that is the end of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. So, like, the same way I put where, like, I still, I'm an arduant, believer that people who are, you know, completely pro-feminism, pro, um, like, let's say, intersectionality, any any intersectional yeah. thought processes are still, to a degree, sexist, homophobic. Yeah. So, like, gay people can be homophobic. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Because if you don't, you're not aware of all the inbred, like, contradictions mm. in your, like, it's sort like of... That, it's like that Norm, Do- Norm McDonald joke, the deeply closeted gay man. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so it's it's just one of those things where just because it's getting attention and just because a bunch of people are saying like, oh my God, go trans people. I argue a lot of liberal people mm-hmm. are still very transphobic because mm-hmm. people don't see contradictions. And that's a, that is a criticism on not necessarily the ideology, but that's a larger criticism of political discourse and people in political ideologies. And that's my criticism of liberals that I think even other, even conservatives would agree that liberals don't think about their positions as hard as they should. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree with that. Um, so that is why I mean. Oh, not to do most conservatives. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah, most most people. That's a yeah. more. That's a. a that's this is a, one of the, the early points that I was making. Exactly. Was, yeah. yeah, it is. It is a political problem, not a not a specific ideological problem. I think if we were to address that problem, those that's when we would start to see maybe those shifts in um, in in meaning and things like that. Um, but right now, I don't. And also, liberals don't fight as hard as they should yeah. on political things. But that's just my answer. So, um, okay. Well, I think we've talked a lot about your sort of political involvement with the, the Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of switch off, you know, jump off, give you a, a, a sort of reprieve from the religious <laughs> dissection, uh, but ask you a little bit more uh, of a philosophical question, because, you know, the, the, the bedrock of this podcast is philosophy, and um, I don't think a lot of people, you know, get the opportunity. I mean, you are a little stripped because you do have theology, but a lot of people don't get to investigate philosophical questions on their leisure. Mm-hmm. So is there a philosophical question that you have been pondering that you would like to investigate? Yeah, I really like the idea of art and mm-hmm. its expression or how, how a culture's philosophy and theology affect one's art, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, is art more beautiful in cultures that have uh, uh, maybe a stronger theology or a more firm philosophical basis mm-hmm. than those that don't? And if so, why? Why is that? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So when we when we talk about beauty, so I guess this the course philosophical problem, what would you identify? Do you think that yeah, I guess that's the, the best question I can ask is that what is the core philosophical problem that you see here? I, I would say the core philosophical problem is that it seems that modern art, art in the modern age, not mm-hmm. um, modern in the sense that like from the, from the, the, the 1500s. The, the style, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. The modern art style seems to be devoid of, of inspiration or, mm-hmm. or of a of a hope-giving feeling or of a, of a awe-inspiring, awe-inspiring feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to be sort of antithetical to that idea in some cases. Mm. And so why is it that societies that are now seemingly atheistic make art that is antithetical to awe-inspiring awe art? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think that... So, so when we talk about beauty or goodness or the awe of, of, of art, I mean, do you think that that, that that does not exist now? Or, like, I guess the question is, is there a missing quality? And the question is, what brought about that quality? Or is it the case that how does it make, how does art inspire similarly in the past, like it has in the past without the divine yeah. inspiration? Or I, that- I would say um, that, that, it, that it's still had today. Right, but 
I feel like I can only really give Christian examples of it. Uh, whereas I feel like if we go back to antiquity, I could give a bunch of non-Christian examples of beautiful art that is awe-inspiring. Mm-hmm. Where I feel like in, in modern uh, non-Christian world, we, or at least non-Christian Western world, which mm-hmm. tends to be atheistic, yeah. seems to sort of make brutish art. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the question again? I'm asking, like, what is, like, I guess the core criticism. Is it the case that you're questioning that there is some good quality that exists both in, Mm. like, uh, the antiquity and more modern era of painting, but the inspiration has changed and we don't know why that inspiration exists? Or is it the case that there is a devoid nature of of that goodness in today's art as opposed to the past? Why does that yeah, happen? I, I would say that, that there is, there is a, that the art of the modern world is devoid mm-hmm. of the goodness of both the middle and early art uh, uh, in human history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so in, in your owing that to the fact that it lacks um, some sort of Religious sentiment. Some religious, yeah, religious or quasi-religious philosophical sentiment. But you said that there existed uh, pieces of art in antiquity that were devoid of religious sentiment. Well, it's devoid of Christian sentiment. Or Christian sentiment. So so they're still religious in some sense? Or transcendental in some sense? Transcendental, absolutely. So do you think that there was no art that was devoid of transcendental principles? No. No, I'm not, I'm not oh. saying that. No, no, no I'm yeah. saying back then, did there exist paintings that had no transcendental? Sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there are. Are you aware of any of them or no? Oh, I would say the, I mean, I mean, not in, maybe not in antiquity. I can't think of anything. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe a bust of uh, Aristotle or okay, Alexander yeah, the Great. Okay, cool, perfect. Um, and and do you think that that had some beauty or goodness to it? Absolutely. Like, um, so so if if there exists art in the past that has that sort of beauty or antiquity or in, in antiquity without some religious sentiment, it, it, why, why do you feel like that doesn't I would, show I would say now? religious sentiment, one should, uh, okay, what do you mean by religious sentiment? Because one can, some, something can be not expressly religious, yeah. but still have the underlying values religious of that religion. Okay. Um... Well then, I guess. Because um, I would I would yeah. say that the art of both Christians in the Middle Ages who don't paint like Christian paint like paintings of Christ or something like that, like the Mona Lisa, yeah, or um, you know busts of Julius Aristotle, Caesar or yeah. Aristotle or, or Alexander the Great, are not religious in the objective, understandable sense, but they are subversively and and in their art style. So. Mm-hmm. So because it was informed by other artists. But then in that sense, it'd be... So oh, it was informed by, by values had amongst those, mm-hmm. um, r- amongst those religions. Mm-hmm. Well, then, do you think that... I guess, is, uh, you know, this, and this might be a hard question. Do you think that objectively modern art is of lesser value or lesser goodness or beauty? Or is it that you personally are struggling to find it in a subjective sense? What is? The... I, I absolutely believe it is uh, worse in, in its in, in an in, objective sense. In an objective sense to its predecessors. Okay, so then I guess it comes down to the, I mean, 
so so you would say well what is it qualitatively missing when it comes like i mean i'm not talking about mm. like you know banana on wall yeah. type art <laughs> yeah. we're not talking about yeah. those pieces yeah but I, like I was dadaism or something like that where they write this is not a toilet on a toilet ah uh, like those contradictions well, not just that but i'm it, yeah i'm like, just giving that example yeah okay 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 I mean, and I guess we should also define what we are, we're putting under the scope of art, right? Not like super philosophically, like, well, is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is photography an art? It's because, a video game art. Or, yeah, or... right. Because um, there was huge debate on whether photography was an art for the yeah. longest time because it was like, well, technically it's just a camera. The artist <laughs> is just putting things. If a, if a, there was this, I read this paper. It was ridiculous. I mean, it's not ridiculous. It's philosophy. But it was like, is camera really an art? Because if you were to have a cave that had phosphorus light, on the floor and it reflected the sun and it printed the picture we wouldn't call that art so why would we call a camera art and i was like i was like hold on whoa, whoa which i mean like in modern conceptions it's yeah. definitely been rejected but i mean I, I think there you know what there might be a a, a virtue or not a virtue a kernel of something to work with with that idea because um and when we talk about objectively lesser quality today i mean we have to identify like you know I really want to whittle down like what is the thing that you feel as though was missing back then versus now. I mean, is it the awe-inspiring or is it the art style? Like, what are you saying? Well, I, I would say that the awe-inspiring nature is due to a different understanding of the world, right? That, that, <laughs> as you said, that the, the worlds that these people lived in were mm -hmm. not purely material. Okay. These were worlds where the the divine being or beings actively participate in the day-to-day -day affairs of people, mm -hmm. right? These are the people who, uh, you know, actively participated in the temple mm -hmm. or in, or in, uh, you know, uh, Christian worship yeah. in the church, mm -hmm. that these worlds were framed by certain transcendent values, certain objective pillars. Yeah on which to hold beauty mm -hmm. or on which to hold goodness or whatever. And that because of that, they created a certain mode of expression yeah. in, in, in the art. Art that universally seems to be acclaimed as beautiful mm -hmm. or as good or as the, the standard by which we should judge all other art. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my brain kind of goes towards first the first question that i want to see is you know because i forgot to address it um yeah, which is the the extent of art um that we're defining right are we just talking about paintings or are we gonna like you know bring in these sort of uh, like photography as I, art i as wouldn't well? say photography i would say art in this sort of classical sense so we have busts we have paintings mm -hmm. uh, we have music mm -hmm. well i guess that's where i would say maybe that is why we have well, music, I guess, would be one way of evaluating, right? Um, because we have really what I would say is maybe one of the reasons why we do see not necessarily a degradation in quality of art, but a difference in, in art right now is the, the necessity to stay relevant. Because nowadays, graphic design, um, mm -hmm. uh, digital digitizing and photography and you know all that is taking over and more people are using that as artistic venues. Because, you know, I always see art as a sort of uh, method to not only capture reality, but to reinvent the perception of reality. 
Um, so, or capture these sort of deeply mm -hmm. intrinsic feelings that we have. Mm -hmm. um, and so back then the artists obviously had more time and also more like that was the, the new method of capturing things. But at some point those sort of traditional feelings are captured very, you know, not, not, not that there's not a revolution that could be had, obviously speaking. Um, what, what I'm getting at is this, this idea that in, 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 in paintings, you know, there was this, that was the only mode and method versus, you know, music, which we'll get to music in a moment. But there was a mode and method that was at their disposal, um, sculpting, painting, and stuff like that. And so that dominated the discourse. But now people have moved on to, you know, more complex versions of music, more complex versions of uh, art. I mean, photography, film, like these are newer forms. So do you think that, uh, you know, the quality has diminished in traditional painting because people have a sort of moved on to those art forms more than this other ones and so they have to essentially adopt a different style to stay relevant. I would say that the art isn't beautiful for almost the exact reason that you said this that like we have we have made art as like non-complex as possible. Mm. We have uh, there is no mastery. Mm -hmm. in, in, in a skill that um, all can easily do. Yeah. Right. There is no there's no mastery in breathing. Mm -mm. Right. Well, I think some people would argue against that because there's people uh, like um, there's actually a huge movement in the spiritual community for like breathing technicians, like people who will train you how to properly breathe. Yeah. Um, and and, yeah, just, like, and, just, just. and even uh, in uh, well, like yeah, there's not a there. I think there is actually because I mean, opera singers, breath control is yeah. a huge thing. So there are masters of breath. They're masters uh, in breath, but in a particular sense that they're singing, that they that they need that breath for, for singing. Like that's not something that you know is a. Um, but I mean, if we if we keep at the bare standard of like so like any skill that. Like it, yeah. There's not like a, a mastery of basic functions, right? Yes. Breathing to live. Yeah. There's not a basic skill for that. Yeah. But anything that does require so that they can be mastery. Sure. Um. So, I mean, one I guess could argue that like the simplistic art is to identify the thing that would, that would inspire controversy or inspire Ins that that is the yeah. skill itself Ins as opposed to the painting yeah and there's also i, I guess uh, yeah it, it, i definitely modern art seems to be more focused on the message that it's giving it's the almost the brand it, that it, is being it, sold. exactly yeah. it's, it's the brand that's being sold where i feel like classical art is more focused on both the message itself and the uh the methodology, the methodology of, of the art but i guess maybe that's where the problem came about is people started to find the message redundant especially as we oh i agree with you yeah. and so and the so when when it comes to like the quality of good art i mean i guess that's where uh, do you think it's a virtue of art to to promote newness to promote altering perspectives like should the message stay the same and the methods change or should the message change as well not necessarily antithetical which it might have, which we can we can mm -hmm. argue that that is the criticism we have at art. But is it is it that it, its antithetical nature is intuitively harmful to the beauty of art, or is the antithetical nature just not doing it right? I would say that the antithetical nature is doing harm to the beauty of art. Okay. That that there can be different expressions mm -hmm. of the same thesis. Okay. Right. That that in art, right, you have the goal of communicating both the message 
and the beauty mm-hmm. in, in, in this form, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think primarily of art, art that I really don't really much care for, but I think is beautiful, um, would be like realism, mm. right? And, and that's the difference is like, I feel like with older art, there can be art that you don't care for, mm-hmm. but you can still find beautiful. Like I find American realism paintings and books and stuff like that to be incredibly boring and uh, unexciting. Yeah. Right. But it's masterfully crafted. Mm-hmm. Some of those uh, I'm thinking of, like the Stonebreakers. Yeah. Art piece. It's it's masterfully crafted. Right. It it is beautiful. But I'm not. I don't much care. For I it. I feel the very same way in music. <clears throat> Like, um, who's that? Uh, there's a composer, Eric Whitaker. He's mm-hmm. very popular for cluster chords, which are just chords with like every single key, every single note in a yeah. key all at once. Yeah. I understand like the, the theory and like the, the craziness of it. It annoys me. Yeah. <laughs> it annoys me beyond yeah. all compare. Where, where, I would say my, my view of modern art is not only does it not interest me, mm-hmm. I also don't find it beautiful. Mm. Where in, in other forms of art, they are still trying to get that message across because they still have the same thesis. They still have the same underlying principles mm-hmm. that have guided art for the past. So you 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 just disagree with the these sort of techniques used. Like the, the techniques utilized are just a poor management of the message that you do agree with. And in modern art? And not all modern like the, the art that you said, like American realism. American realism, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I disagree I disagree with the, the, the techniques. Mm, that's the thing that it does not excite you. That's yeah. it's a to you, it'd be a poor <clears throat> depiction of the message, but the message is something you could respect. Yes. Okay. And so modern art, you just think because it's so sort of brand specific, you don't really care about the brand. So the message is kind of hollowed and the execution is also not great. So yeah. overall, it's it's a failure of of art and um, in, the, in that lesser form. I think it would be interesting. I think a, a method that I'm more familiar with, which I don't know how more familiar with you is, is music because... Um, I think composition back then was also very uh, divinely oriented and awe-inspiring mm-hmm, and stuff like that. But I think there's a lot of composers today, modern composers, that also elicit very similar things mm-hmm. with very different techniques um, that don't necessarily appeal to the divine in a in a sort of holy sense, mm-hmm. but kind of how you were, you know, touching on the, the idea that everybody has a sort of higher purpose. Um of like things that are very deeply human. Um, I, I, I referenced specifically, um, I think it was Morton Lawrenson's Nocturne, which was a series of, uh, you know, uh, pieces that depicted a story of love and then the love dying and living and in like this sort of farewell that was given to, I want to say a wife, a husband to a wife and like kind of sealing it off with like, you know, the awe and the living on past that, the loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, those things I see is, is still very beautiful. To me, I, I think I, I would be akin to agree with you about modern art not being as special. Maybe not necessarily because I disagree on the message. I just think that um, that art has always been to me a, a testimony to the capacities of one's imagination. And I feel like modern art appeals to that but in a way that is very as you said lazy um it doesn't to me i think it just doesn't hit as hard as it can like people aren't using the methods or the message in a way that actually promotes something like it's kind of like the idea of sarcasm Mm -hmm. how sarcasm can be really funny but now like the modern age to me uses sarcasm like 
all the time and then it's just like it's no longer sarcastic you're just annoying you know <laughs> that's just kind of how i feel yeah. where it's like if there's enough edgy pieces at some point like i don't care like yeah, exactly. and, and people now you know and this might be because of the internet age where art has become redundant i think is a big thing too mm -hmm. where you have six seven people trying to do the same thing like yeah. even like the banana on the wall like yeah. i don't think that's necessarily art i think it's interesting yeah um, and i thought it was a good novelty and a fun little thing and in itself the dialogue was the art itself but then people are just trying to do those things over and over again like you know like the toilet example yeah. and stuff like that and i'm just like okay there's only so much i can talk about this mm -hmm. um, and at the same point like conversations can happen relatively similarly like the I, I, my brain went to the dress like the blue no, uh, the gold and white versus yeah. the blue and black one yeah um you can have the same conversation with that yeah. but that actually involved some sort of artistic depiction if an artist mm. did that oh that would have been like you know instead of like a happenstance occurrence um i don't know if that's helped clarify any sort of yeah, philosophical yeah. position but yeah. uh, alas it was still a great uh conversation point um, I think that's all I have for you today. Right. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, how do you feel? Do you think this was a good conversation? I do. I yeah. do. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you. Is there anything you want to plug? I don't know. Do you have like a, a <laughs> read the Bible guys. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> read your stinking Bible. Read yeah. your stinking Bible. Um, go to, go to mass, go to confession. Yeah. All you Catholics listening. I don't know if any Catholics are going to be listening, but, uh, 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 you need to pray more. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> that's the, that's what we're ending on. <laughs> uh, okay, I can stop it. Uh, where's the stop button? Where's my mouse? Today marks the first issue that I believe will cause some people to be upset or offended. Um, and I totally understand, but I hope you understand the necessity of having these conversations and the beauty that can come out of having a sort of dialectical conversation piece. But if you have a problem of how I went about things or you have ideas of the ways that you could have critiqued better or maybe presented the case in a better way, feel free to reach out and let me know. I'm happy to be wrong and I would love to hear exactly why. Maybe you can present a better case than I can. If you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to check out other episodes, especially Brandon's, where we talk about the idea of religion being based in ignorance. If you want to support the show, please consider following us on our social media platforms and sharing this to anyone you think would be willing to listen. If you'd like to be on the show in the future, feel free to email us or message us on our Instagram. With all this being said, I hope you enjoyed the show and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Till next time, keep on conversing. <laughs>